0: All right, so uh, the, the Lent season that we are in the second week of is a season uh, to make space, to be honest with ourselves, honest about what's true. Uh, a short, short starting point uh, from reflections uh, from Gordon Cosby, who was a, a great pastor, <clears throat> advocate, Church planter in Washington, D.C., also happens to be Cammie's uncle. Uh, Through no choice, oh, yeah, here we go. Through no choice of our own, we were born into the existing culture of a particular period of history, and we have taken on the traits of this culture. We have lived by its rules and understandings, it has seeped into our inwardness. It all seems very natural and real. Most of us have had no one to tell us that this world is not real at all. It's the unreal world. Often as we conclude a retreat, someone will say, this has been powerful. I hope I can hold on to it back in the real world. But the real world is not the one to which we are going back to. We return to the unreal world, where the culture is distorted and trapped in pretense. The real world is the one we were just in, where our hearts were opened and we gave inner consent to rest and walk with God. To return to our routines in the dominant culture is to go back to the unreal world, not the real one. The time is coming when the unreal world will not even be remembered. All that will remain is what is real. Make no mistake. What we often call the real world is as flaky as they come. Laugh at it, weep over it, pray for it, take every opportunity to expose it, seek to redeem it, but never make the fatal mistake of thinking it is real. In uh, In the book of Matthew, we have this little story. Jesus went on from there. Two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and then he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. We're told that Jesus healed a lot of people throughout the Gospels. Um, But only some are highlighted. We're told that Jesus healed many, many, many people, but we only get the stories of some. And they tend to focus on three areas when Jesus heals people. Um, The first is that Jesus, there's more than this, so don't, don't get hung up on it. But the first primary area is Jesus heals to create movement. So people who are unable to move, who are lying, who are paralyzed in any number of ways, Jesus heals and he creates the ability to move. The second thing that we get is Jesus heals and gives the ability to feel again. So every time he heals a leper, uh, leprosy, <clears throat> which was um, a significant thing in, in this culture, it, it brought numbness to both the body and to the community because you were pulled away from your community because of the contagiousness of, of skin diseases. So you lost the ability to feel, but you also lost the ability to, to feel because you were removed from people, so Jesus brings feeling back, brings the experience. So, so often he heals that creates movement, and often he heals that creates feeling once again. And then the third area. By the way, he also heals to bring life. That's the ultimate one, but we're not going to talk about that for a few more weeks. Uh, but the third one is that Jesus heals to bring sight. Jesus heals, right, to help people see. And not just to see, but to see in new ways. Um, over and over again, he touches the blind and gives them this ability to open their eyes, but it's always a both-and metaphor. All right. He tells people that also, as they trust God, they will be given eyes to see. To see in new ways, to see what's real, all of that kind of stuff. All right. And they won't look at themselves, they won't look at the world in the same way once this happens. Uh, that's finally when they will truly be able to see what is real. Um, we've been talking about lots of things that I'll, I'll remind you of in just a minute, but Jesus asks his disciples in Mark eight eighteen as they struggle to trust Jesus and his message of the kingdom, he says, do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear? So, the question is Do you have eyes, but you can't see what's really going on? During the season of Lent, we are having the challenging conversations of acknowledging problems of our allegiance. All right? And so, what that means is how often we are put into moments where our identity as citizens of God's kingdom is at odds with our identity as citizens of earthly kingdoms. Read. USA, okay? And so uh, the assumptions and the values that often come when we think about our citizenship bring a couple of options. And we talked to about this week. Hey, Rob, check it out. You see? We, we try to listen. But also, Rob got me some big nib markers, so we're, we're really moving. Um, but the things that happen... I know, man. That's it. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I love you guys. Okay. Um, So the things that happen when our kingdom of God values and our kingdom of, let's just say, our, let's say citizenship. When our citizenship in God's kingdom and our citizenship as Americans, um, when, when they intersect, there's a couple things that happen. The first thing is clashing, right? So you get this clash where they're just, like, feeling, like, totally at odds and you don't know what to do. Okay, and then the other, the other thing that's possible to happen is, um, and we talked about this last week, so this is all just review. The other thing that happens is they enmesh, right? And so often then what we end up having is no difference, that we just have been told or assumed that the kingdom of the U.S. and our U.S. citizenship to be a good American literally means to be a good Christian. They're the same things, right? Right? Freedom, justice, liberty. And so, and so it can become very confusing to figure out how to navigate the times that maybe there is some overlap on some level or the times that like, whoa, maybe I've been sold a false bill of goods and to be a Christ follower actually means I have to be significantly different than the cultural values around me. And how do I navigate that? So that's kind of what we're talking about. This isn't the only two options. The whole point, by the way, is for you to be asking yourselves during this week, Is that, is that backwards? Okay, okay. Someone said it, so you you were wondering the same thing. Uh, This green one's not quite as dark. We'll give it. You know, is to ask the question of what's the middle ground here? What does that look like? What does it look like to figure out how to engage in a world where we have some agency, at least many of us feel like we do, to bring change and yet, maybe not in the ways that the systems of the world require it. So, here we go. Back to having eyes to see. So, uh, last week, again, we talked about how to, how to move forward during this, this month. We have to understand what is the kingdom of God all about. Then we have to name how that might compare with American values and foundations. And then we have to learn what it means to embody the way of Jesus when our allegiance feels torn. Okay? This is, this is not light stuff, by the way. This hits on some pretty deep places in us. Some pretty deep places in us. And so we we got to walk with sensitivity and care and humility. Uh, let's do this. All right, back to this morning. Entering life with Jesus and his kingdom is always going to be transformative, right? When we are changed with, uh, by God's heart, we begin to see everything in, in a new way. And primary in all of that is how we view people and their value. If you feel like it's looking at you then maybe God has something to communicate to you this morning. No, sorry, I always have to do one stupid um, animation just for my own entertainment value. Okay, Genesis 127 clearly tells us God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The story in Genesis over and over in God's image is intended to communicate That, let's see, let's just take this top. Okay. That all humanity, all humanity are intended to be image bearers. Okay? This is really, really important in our story today because this is one of the things that gets forgotten in the values of the systems of our world, all right? So, the psalmist writes, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. David there was not speaking about himself, but about all of humankind. He wasn't just saying, like, I am uniquely, fearfully, and wonderfully made. He was saying, as a human being... I have been given something very special by you, God. Something that I don't want to throw away. I don't want to waste. I don't want to miss acknowledging. So so this idea that every single human is intended to be an image bearer of God, to reflect God across nations, across borders, across all the systems and all of the categories that we have created. This is so significant. So to be in Christ, then, To be baptized into a new way of seeing all of this. This is the language that the New Testament uses. Or really a very old way of seeing things. And maybe perhaps we can use the words of Paul, who we'll look at later, that when we are in Christ, we move from a worldly way of seeing things to a Christ-like way of seeing things. So, we get to be encouraged this morning. If you don't know, if you weren't here last week, we're using uh, video clips from really wonderful different teachers to challenge and encourage us during this, this, these weeks, okay? So author and speaker Lisa Sharon Harper uh, has written and consulted extensively on issues of church and race, of Christianity and immigration, and of what a hopeful way forward looks like, seeing life through the eyes of Jesus. She's the author of many, many books, one of which is The Very Good Gospel, How Everything Wrong Can Be Made Right. Uh, it's really, really, she, every time, I just want to let her teach me about Jesus every time I hear her. Um, but this morning we have a chance to be encouraged by her to live as people of God's kingdom with what she, the phrases that she's going to use is with baptized eyes. All right? Uh, also, one, one heads up, she's going to use the word dominion a whole bunch of times. <laughs> so, just so that you know, when she talks about people or humans having dominion, that's a reference from Genesis 1 when, uh, when God gives humanity the call to have dominion over the world. And the way that we're going to define that and the way that she's talking about it is simply this, to exercise leadership and stewardship in all of the world as image bearers of God. Okay? So when she talks about people being, like, being called to have dominion, that's what she's talking about, to exercise leadership and stewardship in all of the world as image bearers of of God so for the next six minutes I want you to pay extra attention to two things I want you to pay attention to how she talks about power divisions and how we see them in Christ and I want you to take note of the personal implication right at the end that she talks about how we see ourselves okay all right let's
1: So I think that here's the thing is that the role of the church is to be a witness of the presence of the kingdom of God. Because here's the thing, Jesus entered in Luke. Jesus said, the kingdom is here. This is not, I mean, yes, there's a, there's a not yet aspect to it, but Jesus himself said, the kingdom of God is near at hand. You can touch it. In other words, it's him. He's the king. If he's here, the king is here. The kingdom is here. Now, what does that mean? And I think that that's where we go back and we understand that what it means to exercise dominion in a godly way is to exercise it in a way that fans the flame of the image of God in all. that affirms the capacity and the call of all humanity to exercise dominion and so it means setting the oppressed free and so it means And that just means it means on every level it means those who are oppressed within themselves oppressed by shame those who are oppressed within their families oppressed by relationships within their within their siblings or oppressed by domestic violence or oppressed um, within cities within nations and governance by race by by gender discrimination and, um, oppressed between nations. That's the good news is that Jesus came to free those who have been oppressed by domination, by that, by the by the lie that only some were created in God's image. Only some were created with the full call and the capacity to exercise dominion. Jesus comes directly against that. He says, No, that, that Samaritan woman. She was created to exercise dominion. She was created in the full image of God. I'm going to her, I'm, I'm, I'm treating her with full dignity. Um, and when Jesus gets on the cross and then, you know, gets up from the grave, it's like, it's on, right? So then you, then you have Matthew 28, then you have Acts, Acts 1, the Spirit is coming and it's gonna make you even more powerful, and then we see in Acts 4, we see what the church does. If you want to know what the church is about, go to Acts. See what the what the church and the first church does in Acts. They don't just go out there and share the four laws. No, what they do is they actually get into the temple. Now, this is the funny thing. I just, this blew my mind when I thought about this. The temple at that time, that was the very place where the people ruled who killed Jesus. That was not the place where they just went and they they got their worship on on Saturday, you know what I mean? It was the place where they felt the least safe. And they went in and what did they do? They ate together. They sang together. They actually exercised community with their enemies, with the people who who were after them at some point, who were going after them. And they, they also shared all things in common They broke down the class, the gender, the racial barriers that were between them. And I think that it actually, um, we see in Paul's Galatians 3, 27 to 29 text. It's where he actually pens what becomes in the early church, the baptismal liturgy. He says, um, in Christ, uh, there is no Jew or Greek. There is no male or female. There is no slave or free. These are all power relationships. And so what what is the good news to Paul? Paul's good news is when you are in Christ, when you get baptized, you, when you are looking around at the world before you get baptized, you see everybody in the way that the world sees them. You see the power divisions. You see male and female. You see slave and free. You see Greek and Jew. And you interact with them according to the way that the world. But when you get baptized, you go under. You get washed of that mess. You come up and you see the image of God in awe. You see the capacity of women and men to exercise dominion. You see the capacity of Jews and Greeks to exercise dominion. You see the capacity of of people who are enslaved, as much as people who are free, to exercise dominion. Because all are made in the image of God. What are the implications? Well, the impl- honestly, the implication is that we we, we should be, be led to interact differently with ourselves. We should be led to see ourselves as fully human. And I think that that means something for, it means something different for different people, right? So for some, fully human actually means they have full d- dignity. I don't have to put anything on. I don't have to put on any masks. I can be vulnerable and be okay. I can interact with others and not have to live up to some expectation of what they think I should be. I'm able to just be human. And it's okay and it's good. And actually that creates the conditions where we can then have community.
0: She, she is so inspiring um, with the way that she communicates God's love. <clears throat> um, yeah, just makes me want to kind of sit and, and dwell. And I, I hope the same maybe is, is similar for you. By the way, when, when she's talking about baptism and the, the language that the New Testament uses, I mean, to, to become a Christ follower in the New Testament was, was to get baptized. Those were, those were the exact same thing. So while our practices are a little bit different here, we still fully support the step into baptism uh, as an adult, as a believer, uh, and, and celebrate that. But what is being talked about with baptism is what happens when you choose to trust the grace of God, okay? On a, on a larger scale, not a, not a whatever physical thing that happens when w- water hits your face. Um, but there's beautiful imagery in it. So anyways, let's hop in. She mentioned uh, Galatians 3, 27 to 29. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And then all of these, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave free, nor male female, for you are all one in uh, Christ Jesus. By working toward racial unity and reconciliation, by talking about how there, the, the, the divisions of power between male and female, or, or Jew and Gentile, or slave and free being removed, being, being gone beyond... Uh, By by the, the things that Jesus talks about of offering hospitality to the stranger, to the immigrant, to the refugee, to the outcast. By ministering to the needs of others as if ministering to Jesus himself, which is what he talks about in Matthew 25. All of these things, or even on a smaller scale, by smiling at the person next to you at checkout. Right? By inviting a lonely student or a neighbor over for lunch on a Sunday afternoon, like these are ways that we can begin to see the world with God's eyes, with with baptized eyes, to begin to see God's image in other people. This should make us wonder, on a deep level, like how our community might change if we actually truly believed that every single person was created in the image of God. C.S. Lewis wrote, there are no ordinary people You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a (laughs) gnat. But it is immortals who we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. In other words, next to God, people are the holiest things on earth. Simply because they've been created in God's image. Every single one of them. Jesus transforms us so that we can see and embrace this. This is part of the beauty. But it's challenging. Um, and so, so this, is, this is the truth that the early church learned. Um, the Apostle Paul then would, in light of this, would write these words that I mentioned earlier to the church in Corinth. So from now on, we, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ even. <laughs> There's a parenthesis. Parenthetical even that we even thought about Jesus this way at one point, Um, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone and the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. When we experience Jesus, when we experience the love and grace of God, our own humanity gets restored. And when our humanity gets restored, it changes how we engage with the world. But that is often at odds with the way that the world functions. And it is certainly at odds with how nationalism blinds us to the very thing that discipleship reveals to us. Uh, often national allegiance taken in an unhealthy direction will push us to these values. We become convinced that it is okay to kill and destroy another human if we perceive them as a threat. We become tribalized to the point of no longer treating a person with a differing perspective with any dignity or honor, especially if we have felt dishonored by them or demeaned by them. We become comfortable viewing more and more people as enemies. That group of fitting into our enemies gets larger and larger and larger and larger. And, and then seeing those that I don't get along with as both worthless and hopeless. Just think. Just think of the way that we are shaped with our thoughts about the other in our world. The other, other uh, values that, are, that seep in if we think that our primary allegiance is just to our nation is that if people are not ours, however we view ours, then we value them less. Whether that means they're from another country, or another state, or another people group, or anything else that we want to put into this category. And then, rather than speaking about people, we speak about issues. This is a wonderful way to look at the world without baptized eyes. When we talk about issues instead of people, then we strip others of their humanity. None of this, friends, gives radical witness to the kingdom of God that Jesus has inaugurated. That kingdom gives us eyesight like beginning by believing the image of God in every single person and then because of that, moved, moving to treat them with dignity and honor and ultimately continuing to reconciliation, moving together toward a shared wholeness. Even if there's disagreement. Even if someone is different, uh, so we're gonna do a quick, quick uh, case study here, guys. Let's move beyond the theoretical and get uncomfortable. Um, from a political perspective, we'll start, and then we'll start, with, uh, and then we'll move to a personal perspective. Because baptized eyes will see both of these things in new ways. Okay, um, so so our case study for a moment is going to be views about immigration. Okay, everybody excited? Great, this is fun, so much fun. Uh, so. So here's the point. If as people of God's kingdom, we are viewing every single human as an image bearer of God, that means that our starting point will always begin with that truth. Okay? Our starting point will always begin with looking at human beings as bearing unbelievable value as being created in the image of God. Now, within that framework there might be a variety of perspectives about what is necessary or healthy for a country's national boundaries or to address the issues, and there are issues. We can talk more. I have walked along the border in Mexico and in the United States. I have met with Border Patrol agents and people who have crossed over under fences. Um, I've, I've seen some of these things. I'm not by any stretch an expert, but I know how both complicated and human this issue is. But my point is that if we have people who say, yes, we need to create uh, more more pathways, or no, we need to be very careful about, you know, the, the realities, and we have borders for reasons, those might be perspectives that Christians hold. Guess what? They are. But if we together start by saying that every single person along that border who is considering crossing who is receiving the people who have crossed, who live on either side of that wall, is created in God's image, it will change the nature of the conversation that we have. And you will be able to actually make progress with one another. You might still disagree. The policies that you advocate for, they might be different, friends. We just gotta, we just gotta be honest about this stuff. They might be different. But if we agree to start with the value as kingdom citizens that all people are created in God's image and therefore have inherent value, it will change everything. Okay, so do you see, do you see what, the, the point is not to say you, everyone's political views need to be the same or whatever, but when we choose to have the most basic foundational values, then we will always be looking for ways of impacting our world, policies or otherwise, that have compassion as a trademark, hallmark piece of them. Got it? So, so we can do this. You know that I will never tell you like what political view you're supposed to have. First of all, churches should never be doing that because we're supposed to have at least space for diversity. Second of all, you lose your nonprofit status. I don't know what's wrong with all these churches. Like seriously. I'm not. I almost almost started something I shouldn't start right there. Whew. Okay. Um yeah, we're going to move on to the personal. So, 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 in other words, when we think about policy, there are ways to do this and interact with people together where we still can look like the body of Christ, even if we have differing views. We can still look like the body of Christ and be a radically different way of being in the world where the rest of the, the country looks on and says, Seriously? I can't, even, I can't even talk with that person. They're such a whatever. And everybody, like... We talked about this last election cycle. 40% of both parties think that the other party is actually actively trying to destroy America. Like, that's some serious, serious division. The church can model a better way. We can be advocates of justice, and there are a lot of ways that you can advocate justice, but we got to do better. I mean, otherwise... What are we doing here? So, okay, so we can look at it like that, but also there is this whole personal way of looking at the world with baptized eyes that we cannot distinguish and separate in terms of being citizens of God's, God's kingdom instead of just our, our, our country. Uh, so I'm going to read you an excerpt written by um, a spiritual formation author named Caitlin Dixon, and, uh, and she's, she's a great writer, and she tells a story of how she had to go to Walmart to return something. And, and, and she talks about how just standing in the return line at Walmart is like the most depressing place in, in all of the United States, because you're admitting defeat, right? You're admitting that, that you purchased something that let you down, in some way, disappointed you. Everybody else is ticked off. Nobody's happy. Nobody wants to go to the store so that they can return something. So anyways, this is where we're at. As cheerfully, as, as forcefully cheerful music pop, uh, as forcefully cheerful pop music blared through the speakers, music that did not in any way represent the mediocre experience of my fellow returners, and people in sagging sweatpants shuffled through the automatic doors, I began to despair at the ugly ordinariness of it all, and I realized that I was tired of seeing in gray. I wanted this to change, but I felt powerless to do so, so silently I asked, Father, Father, what do you see? in the cadence of the repetitive children's book, Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See? And I think God did respond. Because the answer was not something my grumpy soul could have conjured up in that moment. As I looked at the people coming and going, the people working and buying and just trying to make it through another day, I sensed God say, I see my children. If you worked here, if you spent time here, you would see them too. And you would have compassion for them. I am here too. I prayed back. You mean you are just as present here as you are in the throne room of heaven? If that's true, then baptize my eyes. What happened next was so very real that it is difficult to convey in words. After I prayed, a shivering thrill went through my body. I looked up from the dirty floor to find a world that was actually brighter, shining with capital P Presence. For the first time in a long time, I felt excited to see. My dulled senses were sharpened and my ears immediately tuned into the conversation happening in front of me. At the return register, an older woman with a receipt in hand was protesting the injustice of being charged for something she did not purchase. I was charged $14.98 for these great value donuts, but I never purchased $14.98 worth of donuts. I did, however, purchase the $6 worth of donuts on the item line above, but I did not purchase that many donuts. The Walmart employees were baffled. Apparently, there is no clear return protocol for customer does not know where extraneous donuts came from. After much whispered conferring, they decided to believe the indignant woman and returned her $14.98 in honor of the donuts that she never ate. This exchange greatly amused me. As the satisfied customer left, and it was my turn, I decided to risk being playful. I approached the counter, receipt in hand, and gravely told the employees, "Um, I never purchased these donuts. They froze. Looks of terror and confusion swept across their face, until I smiled, and we all began laughing. You have a great sense of humor, one of them said. The other woman chimed in. Now I want donuts. We then proceeded to share our favorite donut flavors with one another as they processed my simple return. As I left, I felt simply giddy with the joy and presence of God, a joy made even sweeter because it was sheer grace. Then I came face to face with a hunched Walmart greeter with sorrowful eyes and dirt creased hands who dutifully asked, How are you doing today? I responded, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing okay, he hesitantly replied. Typically, I would have taken him at his word, said, I'm glad before walking briskly away. But this time, something gave me pause. My newly baptized eyes saw that he needed compassion, and the Spirit of God helped me slow down just enough to ask, Are you hanging in there? Yeah, I think so, he said. It doesn't sound like much, but there was a sense of mutual caring and connection that was laced with presence. This was a man I have passed countless times on my entrances and exits from the store, but I never really saw him until that moment. And what I saw was a tender, hidden heart that just wants life to be a little brighter. As I discovered that day, baptize my eyes is a prayer that God longs to answer because it is the joy of God to help us look at God's world with eyes of wonder, hope, and love. Baptize my eyes is a prayer that changes nothing about what we see, and everything about how we see it. When we are going through this whole series, this whole conversation that we're going to look at lots of different things from lots of different angles about citizenship. There will always be the temptation even in our conversations to dehumanize it, to dehumanize and look at it from the largest perspective. But when we have come and experienced life in Jesus, it is a complete new creation according to what Paul was writing, right? Like we will see our children, our roommates, our family members, our co-workers, our country, our cities, our systems, our conflicts, all in fresh and different ways. And it will begin if we are being transformed with an understanding that God's kingdom is always possible, it's always near, and that all people are full image bearers of God, even if we find that image hard to notice. So um, the encouragement then to embracing God's kingdom this week, the value is to be reminded this week, all are created in God's image. When we work with this, the things that are the outcomes will be dignity in new ways for others. Justice, right, which is wholeness, dialogue in new ways, partnership in new ways. These are the kinds of outcomes when we walk through the world. Compassion, I would probably add there. Um, Viewing that all are created in God's image. And then maybe the the final question is then what is God specifically calling me to? Uh, So so these are the things that we want to walk away with on a morning like this. Let's take some time. Uh, I have a lot of questions up here for dialogue this week. Uh, we'll, we'll pray in just a moment, but then we'll throw up five questions that you can uh, choose to to simply respond respond to, and we'll share in some in some conversation together. Let's pray. Jesus, give us your eyes. There's lots of things that we can think about, but um, but inspire us with the stories of the early Jesus followers and the barriers that they could break down because they saw the world in fresh ways. Give us courage. Give us love. Give us freedom. Amen.